Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together as your people. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts today, that you would use your spirit to convict us of truth from your word, to bring to remembrance the things that we're being taught. And I pray, Lord, that as we are taught by our brother John this morning in Sunday school, and then Pastor Steve in the main service, and then our brother David Jenkins tonight in the evening service, I pray, Lord, that at each point you would be showing us how we can change our lives to be more conformed to the image of Christ. We love you and we thank you again, Lord, that we can gather together as your people to worship you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Always a privilege to open God's word with you. And I just want to first of all thank the Lord at the jail, the ministry there, the opportunity on Thursday afternoons to do a service with a 15 to 20 of the men that are there. And it's been God's doing totally to see how the men have started to grow. We had one man this last week got released. Now at least he has a basic foundation of, you know, his relationship with God being back on track. And over the last month, we probably had seven or eight that have been released. And then we get two or three new ones every week. But it's been, it's been fun, enjoyable to open the Word with men who say, well, they don't have any other place to go. Well, they don't have to come. They sign up and they come and, and they're fed the Word. And they've been so appreciative of it. It's humbling to me because we have the privilege in America to have a copy of the whole Word. And I hear around the world about those who have to meet and they each have a page or two of the Bible. They bring it together and then they have somebody watching to make sure they're not found out because it's against the law to open the word together. So we have a complete Bible from beginning to end that's inspired and errant. It's from God. It's his word. And we have the privilege to open that freely. And that's something I think when I hear about things going on around the world, I'm so thankful we still have that freedom in America. Well, today we're uh, going to talk about attitudes, and attitudes control our actions. At our jobs, our attitudes affect our co-workers. As misery loves company, as morale goes up and down, and attitudes go up and down. But I know I always enjoy going to Chick-fil-A, and then I get an extra barbecue sauce or a refill on my sweet tea, and then they say, my pleasure. I kind of like that. That's... <laughs> That's kind of a, you know, that attitude, it, it's a, and you hear Christian music being played, and there's not too many restaurants that you, you hear that. Those kind of things, those kind of attitudes affect everyone there, I think, that comes in. I wanted to share a couple of examples of attitudes as I was looking at that this past week. Fanny Crosby, she's written numerous hymns. And she lived to be at the age of 95, but at the age of 8, here's what she wrote. Blind but happy, oh what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. At the age of 8. 
Charles Swindoll, president of Dallas Seminary, shares, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. Which is very true. So those are a couple thoughts on attitudes. Attitudes control our actions in our homes as well. As parents who just tripped on the toy car that wasn't put back in the toy box, snap at the kids. Are there orange juice spills all over the newly mopped kitchen floor? Or that teenager who can't explain the mystery dent in the family car and asks, what does grounded for life mean? <laughs> Attitudes. <laughs> Attitudes control our actions as often seen. I see it every week in Sparks in Awana. When leaders take time and they praise one of the kids for doing something out of the ordinary, showing a good attitude, maybe sharing some bucks on store night with somebody who doesn't have it. But to watch the expressions of the kindergartner, first and second graders, they beam when somebody is saying, Thank you for doing that. That was extra special. We want to recognize that. They don't do it for that. But I'll tell you, it's contagious when they see one of the children being recognized for good behavior, not for the kind that we have to take them out of the room and explain there are rules. So that affects the children as well. Well, this morning we're going to look at a God-honoring attitude, what it's about. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 9. Verses 33 through 37, and here we find three elements in a God-honoring attitude. Mark chapter 9, 33 through 37. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he stood him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name is receiving me, and whoever receives me is not receiving me, but him who sent me. Well, Jesus is instructing. We want to kind of understand the the context here before we look at these uh, verses in our passage this morning. But beginning in Mark chapter 8, 27 through 9, 50, Jesus is instructing his disciples on various topics like Peter confessing Jesus as Christ to warnings to those who become stumbling blocks to others. The topic Jesus is going to address with his disciples in our passage is a God-honoring attitude. So these three elements we want to look at, there are two other parallel passages we won't read, but if you ever want to read those in connection here at Matthew 18, 1 to 5, addresses this same incident, and Luke 9, 46 to 50, both are parallel passages. The first element in a God-honoring attitude we see in verses 33 through the first part of 35, and again we read, And they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. 
or on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, basically, we need to be willing to be last. Willing to be last. That's a lesson we try to get across in Sparks, right? Commander Steve, be willing to be last. Don't be cutting in front. That's one thing, especially at the end of game time, all the kids want to be first in line to get a drink. Am I right, Steve? So when we see one of the children say, no, it's okay, you go ahead ahead of me. Uh, That's outstanding. We want to recognize that. We want to point that out so the other kids say, hey, maybe that's something better to do than shove and be first in line. Or when they come back to class, they all get by that door. Commander Steve says, red go this way. And what is the other? Green go here. So they run to the door and there's about six that want to be first. And so the first are last because they get to go to the end of the line. And so the person who might have been sixth, he gets to move up, gets to be first. That's how you try to teach, you know, what it's saying here. Be willing to be last. That's what it's saying. They're coming to Capernaum. And according to a parallel passage in Matthew 19.1, it's likely they're in Peter's home in Capernaum because when they came to that city, that's often where the twelve stayed with Jesus. But Jesus addresses his disciples with a question. Why are you arguing? Why are you disputing? Same question in Luke 19.46. The same question is asked. And disputing means to argue, converse, to think different things, an ongoing difference of opinions. In other words, it's not getting resolved. It's continuing. Proverbs 13.10 says, By pride comes only contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Ongoing differences of opinion about what? The disciples answer in verse 34, it says the disciples, what? They kept silent. Many commentators think they were embarrassed as their attitudes weren't about Jesus coming, crucifixion, and his upcoming death on the cross of Calvary as our substitute. Jesus had just shared that with them, but now it's, where's my rank? Where am I going to be? Who's going to be higher rank in God's kingdom? I want to be first. I want to be first in line. I I want everybody to be behind me. And so they're arguing. But here we see in verse 34, they're silent. (laughs) Because that discussion wasn't God-honoring, was it? The attitude wasn't God-honoring. It wasn't saying, as Jesus said, was really saying about what was coming in his life, that he was going to die on the cross for our sins, Is that a selfish attitude or an unselfish one? It's an unselfish attitude. A selfish attitude is what the disciples were showing, right? I want to be first. I want to be first in line. I want to be a higher rank in God's kingdom, so I'll be more recognized. But as I reminded the inmates, even this past Thursday, I remind myself, we're all sinners Saved by grace. Amen. None of us are higher than anyone else. We all came to to knowing Jesus Christ as Savior because he chose us. He saves us. He keeps us. And we have eternity to look forward to being with the Lord forever. 
So these men are a lot under turmoil, aren't they? Because I think God's speaking to me individually. Why are we arguing about what my rank's going to be when our Savior, the one we're following here, is going to go to the cross for us? So priorities are an issue here as well. And again, I, when I share with these men that are locked up at Pinellas County Jail in that service, I'm always reminded too, you know, we need to keep our eyes not just horizontally, but we need to be looking up to Jesus every day. And every time something comes into our lives, we look to him first, not at things around us. Not how we feel. Emotions can take over. But we look at Jesus and we say, I believe your promises, Lord, and I'm going to claim those right here and I'm going to hang on because you have promised to never leave me nor forsake me. You have promised to always be in my life and never deserting me. And because you can't lie, I believe it. I take that by faith. Another thing that we share, and I think it could apply here, is learning patience. The only way we can learn patience is by trials. Amen? Do we love them? Do we have to ask for trials? That's what God says. We need to trust in God. We need to trust in God. We need to keep our eyes on Him. And so when we are waiting, how many times in the Bible does it say, wait on the Lord? Many, many times. And so we're waiting on the Lord. We're trusting Him so our faith can grow. If God gave us everything immediately, why would we need faith? We wouldn't. So in the waiting, our faith can grow. I like to call those faith stretchers. So that our faith gets a little bit stronger in the Lord. So the next time something comes up, we turn to Him immediately instead of saying, okay, I'm going to try this and this and then I'll try God I'll let you have it after that. We trust him day by day. So the disciples' priorities need to get back where they need to be. Number one, Jesus needs to be number one. And while in our homes, when our kids bring home that less than perfect report card, we need to show an attitude of grace. Didn't God show us grace and mercy? Are with our neighbor who continue to push the cinch bugs our way? Are the dollar weeds seem to always blow in that one direction? Get tired of putting that, <laughs> whatever you put down, uh, to try to get rid of all those things. But we need to show grace as God has shown us grace. Do we seek to please Jesus? Disciples' priority at this point was prideful. It was not on what Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross that was coming that Jesus needed some human their support because they were following him. They knew what was coming. The argument among the disciples was, who would be the greatest? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They wanted to know. They're mumbling. They're, I can picture it. They're saying, me, 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 not him. I know two things about him. He's not good enough, but I'll be number one in your kingdom. Let me be the general. He can be a private. It's going on. It's mumbling. Jesus has been teaching the disciples all through this. 
Verse uh, 31, it says, For he was teaching his disciples, telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered up into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Why? Because they were thinking on everything else. Jesus just gave what he was going to be doing. But you know, I like the last part of verse 31. He says, he will rise again three days later. Didn't stay in the grave. When he died on the cross, it was Jesus who gave up his life. He said, it's finished. It's done. It's completed. And he will rise again three days later. So they hadn't been listening. Verse 32, they didn't understand it. Because their focus was what? Who's going to give me a high rank in God's kingdom? Jesus, where am I going to rank? Where am I going to be in the rankings? Rather than listening and supporting Jesus as what was ahead. Reminds me of the sparks when Mary Joe, Joe or Jeff, they asked for help holding up the words to the songs. And I know, John, you can relate to that probably in Good News Club. They all want to hold up the stop and go signs. There's two of each. So you pick those and try to not keep picking the same ones because we get a lot of the same volunteers. But they want to pick. They, they want to be picked. They want to stand up and help. What started this disputing and arguing? Some have suggested it was the privilege of Peter, James, and John back in verse 2, where it said the following, verse 2. Mark 9, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Maybe they were afraid those three were going to get the top ranks, but they're disputing and they're arguing, and it could have started there. And so they asked Jesus, the Son of God, who's ready to face the crucifixion and dying upon the cross, settle our dispute here. Where are we all going to rank? (laughs) But then I love it in verse 35. Jesus settles it in a different manner than they anticipated. In verse 35, what does he say? Jesus sits down. Parallel passage in Luke 9, 47 says, Jesus perceived the thoughts of their hearts. He knew the contentions, thoughts that were still there. There might have been a disciple or two glaring at each other. Boy, I hope I get picked over him or a higher rank than him. We need to remember what it says from Pastor Steve's message is that it says in Psalm 139.4, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. The Lord knows before we speak. He knows our thoughts. That's mind-boggling. David could say, I I can't comprehend all this. Lord says, that's okay. Take it by faith. Someday you're going to have a body like Jesus. You're going to be with me forever. So make wise use of the day you have today. Use it for me. God knows all of our thoughts and our motives. Common custom for the rabbi to sit down when they taught. In John 8, 2, it says, But early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Luke 4, 20, Then Jesus closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. So that was a common way of teaching. 
So Jesus is sitting down and he teaches them. And here's what he teaches them. If anyone desire to be first, he shall be last of all. That's not the world's way, is it? The world says, no, you push your way to the front or you deserve number one. Or you should be first, so you push everybody aside so you can be in the front of the line. God says, no, that isn't the way it is. If you want to be first, you shall be last of all. Bottom line, pushiness, self-centeredness, prideful attitudes are not allowed. Not allowed. Other places this is taught, Luke 13, 30. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. And then we also know in Luke 22, verse 24, there was a rivalry among the disciples as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, remember? He got done and he said, go and do likewise. He was saying, be willing to do whatever I ask you to do. If it's washing dirty feet, be willing to do it for me, for my glory. Second element, a God-honoring attitude is shared. The last part of verse 35. Again, We've already read that. That was part of the answer. But it's willing to be a servant. Willing to be a minister. A deacon. The word servant is talking about a greatness to God is found in character and service. If you want to look at a passage that talks about that in detail, look at Philippians chapter 2. The first 13 verses talk about what it means to be in service, a servant. The word servant here means deacon or ministering to all. It's used in John 2.5 when Jesus changed water into wine. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Being a servant, ministering, seeing in any situation, saying, God, how can I serve you here? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to help this person? If God calls us to help somebody who's in need and we're able to do it and we don't do it, that's not God's way. God says, I've given you what I've given you to help others. I remember while in Colorado in a small town called Sheridan Lake where we were pastoring at that time. And I remember one of the farmers had the gift of giving. And he never wanted any recognition because you know why? He said, my recognition for using the gift God's given me is God. I don't need any thank you recognition. He did it quietly, kind of behind the scenes. But there were several ministries, including CEF, that 
He supported solely because God called him to do that. And he said, you know, he said, I relate it this way, Pastor. He says, when I put a shovel into the grain bin and I get a shovel full of grain and I'm giving it out, God has a bigger shovel that he keeps putting it in. And that's true, isn't it? That's why it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because God doesn't want us hanging on, as Corey Ten Boom said, don't hang on to things so tightly or things or people so tightly that it hurts when God has to pry our fingers loose because we're hanging on to the wrong thing. We need to be hanging on to Jesus. This speaks of voluntary service to others. The same word as deacon. Service, you say, like what? Like participating in the widow's workday. Painting at the lakeside school classrooms. Meals for those laid up after surgery or an illness. Serving the children who need guidance in Sunday school and Awana and other programs. Are there any other ways we can serve others? Is that it? Those five things? Prayer. Prayer. Pray for each other. Intercessory prayer. Sometimes a person is so overloaded, they need others to uphold them, bring them before God in prayer. Phone calls, notes, visits. What about sometimes when we know somebody's hurting, just going over and saying, you know, I'm praying with you, I'm in there with you. Or to say, I've been where you're at. God will see you to the end of that tunnel. I know you're in the middle of it, but God will see you to the end of that tunnel. He doesn't leave us in the tunnel. He's with us there, and he'll be with us through all of it. Very good. Well, the third element in a God-honoring attitude is revealed in verses 36 and 37. Taking a child, he stood him in the midst of them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name is receiving me. And whoever receives me is not receiving me, but him who sent me. That final third element, willing to be humble like a toddler. That's really what's being said here. This could have likely been one of uh, Peter's children, but Jesus brings him over, hops, maybe hops up on his lap, or he's standing by Jesus. And he says, okay, I've got an illustration. I've got something here I want to teach you that I want to point out to you disciples here who have been arguing over who's going to be the highest rank in my kingdom instead of focusing on what was before Jesus. But if you think about a toddler, generally they're pretty trusting, aren't they? I uh, just remember this last week uh, in a... Juana, I remember my uh, granddaughter, Carly. Uh, she was out, uh, it was toward the end of Awana, and she came running up. She doesn't quite, well, sometimes she'll say Pop-Pop. That's my nickname, not Grandpa, but Pop-Pop. She came running up, <laughs> and it just breaks my heart every time. You, you as grandparents, you can associate with this. She come running up, put her arms up, and she said, Pop-Pop. So I grabbed her, and then she laid her head down. Oh, that almost put me in tears. <laughs> you know those special times. Or where to be like that sometimes, or like a toddler, 
coming up to Jesus too and say, Lord, I need you to hold me here. It's a tough time. I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm searching your word. I want to do what you want me to do. And I want you to get the glory. But sometimes we need to know we're in in God's hands, in his arms. And I'm reminded too of Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Not the way that is natural bent. And I think that applies not only to children, but grandchildren as well. Because if we don't teach them God's way, where are they going to learn it from? From the world? From watching the news? <laughs> from other kids in the neighborhood who don't know the Lord? They've got to be taught. They've got to be trained. So instead of worrying about our rank in God's kingdom, instead of these disciples focused on that, we should trust our Lord and Savior and be humble under the master because the Lord said what follow me what does that mean pull God along to to agree with everything I want to do what does follow mean we trust the one we're following because otherwise we'll say wow I don't know where I'm going to end up we know we're going to end up where in heaven and for how long (laughs) how can we ever thank God enough for saving us that we're going to spend eternity with the Lord We can. And I'm afraid I probably would be like the grumbling disciples if I had been in that group. You say, well, they're all weak. You know, I would never do that. Oh, better be careful. (laughs) We need to all be reminded. We need to be willing to be humble like a toddler. Depend totally on God. Not half the time. Not when some of these inmates are in jail. But all the time. That's where the trust comes. Do we have God controlling our lives, leading our lives? Are we following him? Are we searching the scripture every day? You know, it's a privilege, as we mentioned earlier, to open the word in America and have a whole Bible. Most of us have many Bibles at home. Some would give a year's wages to have one copy of a Bible in some countries where they can't, they're not allowed to practice that they follow Jesus. And yet God is causing those churches to grow, isn't he? Some of the most oppressed places are the ones that have growing churches because they're putting their life on the line at times where they could be thrown into prison, where they could be executed, where they could have everything taken away their faith and yet they continue to follow and trust in God I had told the inmates this last week I said we if we take over driving in our own lives and we end up in a ditch don't blame God <laughs> he's not in the driver's seat but also we can't be the backseat driver saying God uh oh I, I want this or I don't want that that might be a trial And the Lord's saying, you need your faith to grow a little bit. I know what I'm doing. Romans 8, 28. We know that how many things work together? What does all mean? What is it? Everything. As uh, one of my professors in seminary said, Dr. Paul Fink, he said, all means all, and that's all all means. (laughs) It's a pretty good definition. It doesn't leave anything out. But it comes to 
What I share with the men at the jail, what I share every morning, do two things. If you don't do anything else, do two things when you wake up in the morning. Thank God he woke you up. You're here for a reason. God has you here on this earth for a reason. And secondly, ask the Lord, what lesson do you have for me today? Say, oh, there's a couple of them I really don't want to learn now. We need to be open. Because God has at least one lesson for us every day, doesn't he? And the hardest one to learn is patience. They know that. I say, well, what is the hardest one to learn? It starts with a P. Oh, patience, chaplain. Why do you bring that up every week? Because <laughs> we never learn it quite right, do we? Rest in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And don't lean on our own understanding. And I'll tell you, some of the stories I hear from the men, you know, they can't get a hold of the public defender. A visit with their spouse was canceled. One of their children's in the hospital. Their mother dies. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But I tell them, look, look to Jesus. He'll see you through. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. But you've got to have that priority. Jesus has to be number one. He can't be anywhere else on the list. And then I'm always reminded, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Matthew 14, Peter, remember? I love that story. Some people say, well, Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times, but I said also he walked on water. How many, how many of you done that? Well, I walked on ice. That's like frozen. No, I said water in a storm. Because I look at the faith of Peter, and although he acted sometimes quicker than once he thought things through, Peter, though, he had a strong faith, and he stepped out of the boat. Because Jesus said one word to him, and what was that? Come. The other disciples were probably saying, hey, let's have a meeting on this. Let's, let's, I don't know about this. It's a little stormy out there. looks pretty rough. But Jesus said one word to Peter, come, and he got out. You say, well, he started to sink, but where was he? He was on the water as he took that first step, first step of faith. And that's what God often asks us to do. I illustrate it this way, and this won't come across in the recording, but sometimes the Lord says, put your foot up in the air, and I'll show you where it's going to come down. It might be over here. I thought it was here. Lord says, no, it's right here. But put your foot in the air. That's faith. Faith in the Lord to say, I know you, you know where it's going to come down. We welcome Jesus and his word in our lives every day. We should be hungry for the word. You say, well, I meant to, I need to. But getting in God's word is a privilege we have in America that may not go on forever. But we have it today where we can open it and study it and allow God to teach us. And then God gives us, God the Holy Spirit helps us to do it. Because Jesus paid the price for us. Commentator D. Edmund Hebert shares, There is a spiritual unity between the humble believer, Christ the sent one, and the Father who commissioned him. I love to be in that bond, don't you? I hear all, a lot of these Christian songs, they'll say, Jesus, he knows my name. He knows our name. 
I'm glad he knows my name. I pray that he knows your name. I, could, I don't know how people make it without the Lord. I don't. So I did a death notification on Friday, and this, this man uh, had lost a son. It was built in, into a religion that he was raised in. I pray that there would have been a point where he would have accepted the gift of salvation, but I doubt it. And I know it, the reality of where he is, he now is there apart from God. I can't imagine getting up in the morning and not having God in my life. Can you? How, how do people make it? I just praise God that, that he walks with us every day we have on this earth, one day at a time, until the day he calls us home. Don't have to worry about it. It's in his hands. We just got to let go of that that worry that keeps coming back. We've got to have our priorities right to say Jesus is number one. And if I bring disgrace to him, that should bring us to our knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't want to do that. I want to please you. I don't want to be a Jonah, run the wrong way. Rather be a follower, a disciple who says, Lord, Tell me what to do today through your word, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers. How can I serve you today? Just like Elijah, he didn't take any of the glory away from God, did he, when Naaman was healed? Remember, they came back and, and they wanted to give Elijah the prophet all those different things that he had brought, all the money, all the gold that he had. And Elijah said, no. Why? Give God the glory. Then Gehazi, he ran over there and he said, I'll take a little bit. I'll hide it. Didn't work, did it? And he ended up with the leprosy. Let's be like the one in ten lepers that were healed by God. One came back and said, thank you. The other nine, they were healed, but they didn't come back, did they? Let's be at least like the one. I think something in my prayer life that I catch myself at times is not thanking God, first of all. How can we not thank Him for salvation first before we ask anything? And we should always ask according to His will because if we're following Christ and we believe Romans 8.28, we should be confident God's will is the best. Amen? He doesn't give second best. But He says, trust me. Don't look at the world around you. You won't find the answer there. Look at me. Look at my word and believe what I told you. And God will help us to apply it. Are the God-honoring elements in our attitude this morning, are we willing to be last? Again, that's not popular with the world. Are we willing to serve, to minister, to deek, be a deacon to all, willing to wash feet, if God asks us to wash feet. And are we willing to be humble like an infant, like a little child, like a toddler? And say sometimes, Lord, just hold me here. I trust you. Attitude checks are hard. But with God's help, all of us can work on it. We need to remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And... Following, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, to look at Jesus who modeled it for us. 
Ray Stedman, pastor and commentator, shares this. I thought this was very appropriate. Here's what he shared in a message that he shared in 1973. Ray Stedman shares, Do you fathers ever teach your children how to get up in the morning? Not only to get up, but how to get up. There is a threefold technique in getting up. I thought this was great. First, we stretch. That gets the body going. Then we smile. That puts the soul in the right attitude so that we don't start the day grumbling. And then say, God loves me. Because that sets the spirit right. You are reminding yourself of your identity in that way. And body, soul, and spirit, you are starting the day right. Stretch, smile, and say, God loves me. That's the attitude. That's how to start the day. I thought that was great. Can we do that? That's just something that, that he's suggesting. But again, we get back to train up a child in the way he should go. Teach it in the families. So that these kids don't end up in Pinellas County Jail. I see too many. They were juveniles. They got in trouble there. And now they're adults. And now they're sitting in there attempted murder. Drug dealing. You name it. All those kind of charges. We've had a big growth of juveniles in the jail. We had like 30 and we went up to like 60. There's no place for them to go. So they come into the jail. Are they learning God's way? I pray God's, the ones God is speaking to, that there's an opportunity for them to hear the truth. And that's the truth of God's word. And that's the truth of the gospel. That doesn't change. It doesn't wear out. There's no limited warranty with God's truth, is there? It's 100% true. We need to believe it and apply it and have an attitude to say, God, what are you going to teach me today? I want to learn. I want to be taught. I want to be a disciple. The final challenge This reminds us that our attitude affects others everywhere we go, and it does, like a domino effect, is ours a God-honoring one? Because attitudes do affect others. Misery loves company, that's true. But praising the Lord wants company too, amen? Somebody comes in and says, I praise the Lord, what a beautiful morning. And all of a sudden you see three or four smiles that weren't there. Why? Because it's a reminder of God's creation. He's given us creation to enjoy. Praise Him. And that we have a complete Bible that we can study every day. We'll never get through it, will we? In a lifetime. But it's here for us to learn from, to apply and let God apply it so we can live it. So they can look at us and maybe see a tiny glimpse of Jesus and say, He's real because I see it in your life. It's not fake. It's not just on Sunday. It's every day, every minute. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that you gave the disciples, which apply to us. Help us, please, Lord, to have a God-honoring attitude because the world is, is dying without you. And Father, we just pray for those opportunities that we have to share the gospel, those whose 
soul you're speaking to, you're drawing to you, that you have chosen, Lord. Help us to share the good news before another one falls off the cliff into eternity without you. Give us a heart to serve you wherever we are and however you can use us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.